Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 40 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. This week, it's my regular monthly questions and answers session. Beekeeping Short and Sweet, a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. Welcome once again to my weekly podcast, and my thanks to those of you listening via the Patreon page. I really appreciate your support. If you're not familiar with Patreon, it's a support page where you can help me create more content by signing up to one of my reward tiers, and in return, you gain access to additional content and support from me. These start from as little as $1 per month, so I believe with the regular quality content I'm producing, $1 represents excellent value for money. If you've not yet started beekeeping and you're looking for help and assistance, pop over to my website www.norfolk-honey.co.uk forward slash get started and I'll do all I can to help you out with suggestions and recommendations for you. As usual, I'll leave any relevant links for this week's podcast in the show notes. Remember, remember the 5th of November, gunpowder, treason and plot. Well, I hope you've all had a safe and fun fireworks night this week, although it does seem to have become a fireworks week, and the reason for the celebration seems to be the last thing on most people's minds these days. I remember as a child the main event was a bonfire and the burning of a guy on top of it, with a few small fireworks to accompany it. If you wanted to see the huge chrysanthemum-style fireworks, you had to go to the local cattle market for an organised display. But now we seem to have fireworks going off most weekends for one celebration or another. And I think it takes away the wonder of seeing these huge explosives bursting into the air above our heads. Anyway, enough of my fireworks ramblings and on to today's topic, which is our questions and answers session. Thanks again to everyone for submitting some great questions. And we kick off this week with a correction and clarification to a question about the inspection board uh, last time from Leslie. Leslie's question was whether I put the inspection board in and leave it over winter. And I mistakenly guessed that Leslie was talking about dummy boards for some reason. I don't know why, but dummy boards came into my mind. Anyway, I think Leslie was talking about the Varroa inspection board that fits beneath the floor. So to answer your question, Leslie, no, I don't leave it in all winter, just when I carry out the Varroa treatments. The boards stay in for about a week and then I take them out, have a quick look to see how many Varroa have dropped, gather them all up to be washed, dried and stored ready for the next time. One issue I do have is the multitude of different Varroa floors from different manufacturers, all taking different sizes of inspection boards. I really must find a floor that I like and stick with that for all of my hives. It would certainly make this job so much easier. Anyway, I hope that clarifies my poor attempt at an answer last week for you, Leslie, and my apologies for any confusion. So next up is a question from Fran Barham that's similar to another question I had from Ian Haslam about my use of chicken wire to protect the hives from green woodpeckers. So Fran says, Hi Stuart, this echoes a question from Ian Haslam about the chicken wire protection from green woodpeckers. I've just purchased a small roll of wire and want to do this soon. Should the mesh be placed so there is a gap between the mesh and the wooden sides? I was planning to let the mesh rest on the floor around the hives to keep it upright. 
would appreciate a bit more advice, please. Well, hi, Fran. Thanks for the question. Uh, I'm very unfussy about the way that I wrap my hives with chicken wire, to be honest. And uh, either I've got it just right or I've been really lucky. To be honest, it's probably the latter. But all I tend to do is pretty much as I did in the recent video. I take around two and a half metres of chicken wire and wrap it around the hive in a circle. I then hook the wire over the corners of the roof tins, which holds it in place nicely. And I use the cut ends to wrap around the chicken wire to hold it in place. And it's as simple as that, really. If you were to look down on it from above, you'd see a square peg in a round hole, if you get what I mean. Uh, the chicken wire bulges away from the hive on each side. And it's held loosely enough that I think that when and if a woodpecker were to land on it, there should be enough flexing in it that means the woodpecker can't hang on for very long. I think the holes are too wide for it to be able to grip across the holes. And I don't pull it too rigidly tight along each side so that the wire then becomes held close to the side of the hive. I don't think that that would work terribly well. As yet, I've not had any woodpecker damage to hives that I've wrapped in this way. I'm going to keep doing it until it all goes horribly wrong. I had a question also regarding whether the wire netting should touch the ground or just wrap the hive body, which would leave a gap beneath it. And with the commercial hive on a stand, the chicken wire reaches down to the floor. But with a national brood and a half on some of my stands, so that's a brood with an additional super on top, there is a gap at the bottom, but again, I've never had a woodpecker sneak beneath the wire and do any damage. Probably more luck than judgment, but that's just the way it is at the moment. I think our green woodpeckers much prefer their natural foraging to attacking beehives anyway, so generally they tend to leave them well alone. But once they get to know how to attack a hive, they just seem to be drawn to them and it can make a real mess. So I would always recommend wrapping them and see how it goes. So next up is a question from Christopher Hindle. Hi, Christopher, and thanks for the question. And he says, hello, Stuart. A fairly basic question, actually. Is cleaning of the occupied hives really necessary, especially if there is no evidence of colony health issues, or are you just really cleaning spare equipment? And I think this question comes from a recent video that I produced showing uh, cleaning of a poly hive. Uh, but actually, Chris, yes, for me, it is really necessary. Each spring I carry out a full swap out of the floor, brood box and crime board of each and every hive. Even with a healthy colony you'll be doing some good by replacing dirty equipment for clean fresh equipment. The real benefit here is that the beekeeper has a nice clean hive to inspect with no propolis or wax gumming up the runners or the side walls and if you give the runners a quick wipe with some petroleum jelly the frames just glide across them making it really easy to manipulate the frames and inspect without any fuss, especially in the early part of the season when it's all still quite fresh. I've seen some real horrors in my time as a bee inspector, and they're really not very easy to inspect without upsetting the bees. And that's it, really. It's a simple job that will make inspecting through the new season a doddle. So why not do it? Give it a try and see how it goes. Our next question is from Brian Tong who says, Hi Stuart, do you recommend a software system for the breeding and management of queens? Thanks, Brian. Well, hi Brian, thanks for the question. Uh, my queen rearing is actually very low key. I don't produce hundreds and hundreds of queens, so I don't have any specific software system or app that I use. 
but I do have a queen rearing template for setting the timing of the queen rearing. All I do is enter the date that I want to graft and the spreadsheet calculates all the other dates for me. It works really well and it keeps me focused on what I need to be doing and when I need to be doing it. Uh, I'm happy to send you a copy if you have an iPad or Mac computer. I think I do have a copy for Microsoft Excel as well. So uh, drop me a message if you'd like a copy and I'll send it over to you. Next up is a question from Bruce Kelman. Hi, Bruce. And Bruce says, Hi, Stuart. Seems here in the States, a lot of beekeepers on YouTube, though they have oxalic acid vaporizers, prefer the drivel method during the winter broodless period. But seems to me that the vaporizer would be the best choice, especially being that one doesn't need to crack open the colony. Some even say that the vapors stress the bees excessively. We all know the bees aren't particularly in love with any treatment, but neither are we. I have noticed that when I vaporise, that the colony really roars, sounding similar to a locomotive. Obviously, the bees are fanning. I believe I will use my Varox. What are your thoughts? Thanks. Well, hi, Bruce, and thanks for that great question. And to be honest, I was recently researching just this issue. As you're probably aware, I'm now stocking and selling the ProVap 220 oxalic acid sublimator here in the UK. And I read with interest a research paper published in the Journal of Apicultural Research in 2015. So it's a relatively recent publication. It's titled Towards Integrated Control of Varroa, Two, I guess it's part two, comparing application methods and doses of oxalic acid on the mortality of phoretic varroa destructor mites and their honeybee hosts. Quite a mouthful. Uh, but it's by it's by Hassan Altufalia, Luciano Scandian, and Francis Ratniks at the Laboratory of Apicultural and Social Insects at the University of Sussex here in the UK. I'll leave a complete reference in the podcast notes for anyone that would like to take a closer look. But for now, I'd simply like to quote the abstract from the first page of the paper as it nicely explains the paper and some of their findings. So here goes. In the past two decades, the parasitic mite Varroa destructor has become harder to control with synthetic acaricide chemicals due to genetic resistance. We determined the efficacy of the natural chemical oxalic acid in killing phoretic mites on adult worker bees under field conditions in southern England. We compared three OA application methods, trickling, spraying and sublimation, at three or four brackets sublimation doses, so they've used sublimation in four doses, using 110 broodless colonies in early January 2013. Treatment efficacy was assessed by extracting mites from samples of around 270 worker bees collected immediately before and 10 days after treatment. All three methods could give high varroa mortality in the region of 93 to 95% using 2.25 grams of oxalic acid per colony. However, sublimation was superior as it gave higher mortality at lower doses, 0.56 or 1.125 grams per colony, trickling, 20, 57% mortality, spraying, 25, 86%, and sublimation, 81, 97%. Sublimation using 2.25 grams of OA 
also resulted in 3 and 12 times less worker bee mortality in the 10 days after application than either trickling or spraying, respectively, and lower colony mortality 4 months later in mid-spring. Colonies treated via sublimation also had greater brood area 4 months later than colonies treated via trickling, spraying, or control colonies. A second trial in December 2013 treated 89 broodless colonies with 2.25 grams oxalic acid via sublimation to confirm the previous results. Varroa mortality was 97.6 and 87, so that's 98% of the colonies survived until spring. This confirms that applying oxalic acid via sublimation in broodless honeybee colonies in winter is a highly effective way of controlling Varroa destructor and causes no harm to the colonies. So that's the quote from the abstract. So it would appear that to answer your question, Bruce, sublimation is the way to go. It's certainly the way that I'm going to go. So good luck with it. Stay safe and let me know how you get on. Dorothy Jones sends in a question. Hi, Stuart. My question is about storing super frames with clean, empty comb over winter to keep out wax moth, etc. What is the best way? Also, I lost a whole super of honey this year as I didn't extract it right away and stored it sealed in the shed, only to find it full of wax moth several days later. Is there a way of keeping full supers for extraction other than on the hive? Thanks, Dorothy. Well, hi, Dorothy. I feel your pain with losing a super full of honey. I've done this myself and not just the one time, I have to admit. I guess the answer is to either extract it immediately or, if you can, maybe freeze the frames to kill any wax moth and then store them securely. Regarding the extracted frames, I follow the same process every year and so far I've not had any major problems. Once the frames have been extracted, they go straight back onto the hives that they were removed from. This is obviously good pest and disease management and prevents any cross-contamination between hives and apiaries. And Once the supers have been cleaned out, and believe me, the bees really do a fantastic job at getting every last drop out of the frames, I stack them on a pallet in the apiary about 10 or 12 supers high with a Varroa floor mesh or travel screen on the bottom and then one on the top with a roof to top it all off. This allows air to circulate but also prevents the vast majority of pests and bugs from getting inside. Again, this is another procedure I've been doing for many years and have never had anything get inside. I did once have some rats try to chew their way in and they made a bit of a mess of one of the supers, but they eventually gave up without getting inside. So I hope that answers the question for you, Dorothy, and thanks very much for that question. Our final question comes from Ian Haslam, who says, Hi Stuart, in spring, when potentially the bees need water in excess of what they can gain from condensation to deal with diluting honey, brood food, etc., but it's too cold to risk flights out, would a Boardman feeder with water at the entrance work? Or would a wet sponge on the crime board be better? Is it a problem, Ian? Well, hi Ian, and thanks for the question. Uh, it's always nice to see a beekeeper looking forward to the new season, having only just washed out the smoker for the final time from this season. And I guess there's a lot of beekeepers who, having not been in their hives recently, are now starting to look forward as well. So at, at each of my apiaries, I make sure that there's a water supply locally so that the bees can drink as much as they want when they want it and take back as much as they need to the hive. You'll know that several of my apiaries 
are near lakes or rivers, so at these sites I really don't need to do anything. At the one or two sites I have without water, I make available a shallow trough filled with shingle and keep this topped up with water throughout the spring months. I think if it's too cold for the bees to fly, then they're probably in a cluster and don't need the water anyway. And I don't think an entrance feeder with water in it is necessary. I've certainly never used one. But again, if you feel you need to supply water in that way, then then do it. It's It's really not a problem. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks for hanging around until the end of the podcast. And thanks to everybody for submitting those questions. Please do keep the comments coming and we'll catch up next time. I'm Stuart Spinks and that was Beekeeping Short and Sweet. Yeah.